0: Climate Justice Y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South that are hit the hardest by the climate crisis.
1: We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time. Y'all hear what we have to say. According to Georgetown's Climate Center's map
0: of state and local adaptation, only one state of the entire Southeastern region has an up-to-date climate adaptation plan, despite our region being one of the most vulnerable areas to climate change. In fact, many of our local governments down here either don't consider climate change at all, deny its existence, or flat out implement policies that block climate adaptation. In order for our region to adapt we must advocate for and implement climate adaptation policies that specifically take local realities and solutions into consideration because of that we are bringing in a climate science professor working with project
1: drawdown to discuss what he and others are doing to change that in georgia climate justice y'all it's real it's here and it's about time we listen to folks like dr hyrule garcia all right Let's get started with the show. Hi, Dr. Garcia. It's nice to finally meet you. Um, We're just going to start the show off with you introducing yourself and the groups that you work with. Yes,
2: uh, Marisha,
1: right? Yes.
2: Marisha, Marisha, uh, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so Happy to uh, podcast uh, in this uh, great program of the CJY program. So thank you so much for the invitation. So again, uh, my name is Dr. Jairo Garcia. I work on, on climate mitigation and resiliency, specifically for in urban areas. I'm the former director of climate policies with the city of Atlanta. And I do research and teach classes at the Georgia Institute of Technology at John Hopkins University in the areas of climate change, urban planning, sustainable cities. Um, I am also the co-chair of the same working group, so I'm happy to be here.
0: Thank you, Dr. Jairo Garcia. And yeah, I mean, not only do you do this work from the advocate side um, with your work, with groups like SIN and everything, but you do this on the academic side as well um, through the multiple universities that you teach with. And that, I think that element right there is missing in a lot of conversations um, is basically how does academic tie into this? So thank you for, thank you for that. Um, when people, okay. So when we think of climate solutions or like adapting to climate change or anything like that, cause today's episode is about local and state climate solutions and basically what they are what the possibilities are what they could mean for the south but the thing is most people when they think of climate solutions they think of it at the national level only but you and i both know that local and state level solutions are just as important if not more important in my opinion um could you tell us more about the work that you do with like drawdown georgia and um yeah, just just tell us about that kind of work. Introduce us to the field of local climate solutions and the work you're doing in Georgia.
2: Uh, hello, Abigail. Thank you too for for um, inviting me to this podcast. Uh, so first of all, about the academia, how we can involve the academia. So um, you know, when I went to school, uh, the, the academia used to be like a, a like a big wall with the community, where the universities, you know, for. People go to the university completely separated from what was happening outside the campuses. Uh, we see here, for instance, here in, in, in uh, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech was the academia, and around Georgia Tech, where people, you know, in a very uh, um, daring conditions, uh, because there was no connection. But uh, I truly believe that now there is a um, there is a more more conscious, at, at least what I have seen in many universities, uh, that the university cannot. Trying to solve universal problems where the communities are in a really bad shape that they, they need to address first where the communities they are located on and fix those issues right there. You know, I, I know universities that, are, that, for instance, provide programs in environmental, uh, environmental sciences and all those kind of things, and the creek that is going through the university is totally polluted. You know, MIT, for instance, an mm. example, uh, were used to dump all the chemicals through to the Charles River. But I do believe that that mentality is changing. And then the university, uh, at least, in, in uh, universities that are respectful and uh, universities that needs to have good ranking in order to uh, recruit good students are those ones that are connecting with the community. And there are good programs um, like uh, Georgia Tech, as well as Johns Hopkins University that work directly with the community that they are on. And one of those uh, programs is uh, the Drawdown Georgia uh, program that you just mentioned. I, I'm gonna talk in, in a second but let's talk also as uh, the second step about uh, local and regional solutions to climate change it is true uh we, we have we have there are many things that we can address at the local level and the state level there are many things that we need to solve all the uh, legislations that we can implement at local level there are they produce a tremendous impact in the populations in in, in those those um, those communities. It's the direct contact. Uh, so, um, you know, when we develop policies in cities and, uh, or at regional level that address many cities to solve sub- a problem in the community, it's right there that we are facing the problem. So, the solutions are right there. Uh, you are absolutely right with that. Solutions are local. However, however there is there has to be also a a top-down approach from the federal government because there is certain limit uh, that cities and states can have uh, that they are limited for uh to to do what they want to implement uh for instance we all know that uh most of the money that is coming from roads are coming from the the department of transportation the federal government gives money to municipalities to to build roads Um, so if there is not a good policies in the way and how the federal government gives the money to these municipalities you're going to have the same problems for instance here in atlanta uh, they want to build more roads. And we know there's, there are data that shows, specific data and scientific studies that shows that more roads don't produce uh, any congestion relief. It, it gives you a little breathe for one or two months. But as soon as people realize that, you know, they can drive the road, the road is going to be as congested and even worse than before because there are going to be more cars. So that is not the solution for that. And if the Department of Energy keeps, pumping money uh, to those, um, you know, silly solutions that is not going anywhere, then you are going to create a problem. So it has to be a top down and a bottom up approach. They have, we have to collaborate with the federal government and the federal government has to collaborate with us in order to do that. I'm going to give you an example in which, for instance, a state can be a roadblock for the municipalities that want to do something about climate change, environmental stewardship. For instance, here in Atlanta, uh, we were talking about um, trying to a, a ban new constructions for deploying gas um, uh, gas pipelines. Why? Because there are, there are studies that show the gas produces enormous public health issues. Uh, you know, children are having problems when there is a leak of gas, gas is methane, which is a very powerful greenhouse gas. And this is extremely dangerous. We heard all the time about fires happening everywhere. And then uh, recently a study that shows that uh, a, uh, houses that have a gas, that children have problems. So the study shows that. Uh, so many cities, specifically in California, are banning new buildings to installing gas um, uh, gas uh, uh, connections. Now people say, ah, but I love my gas. No, we have right now better technologies. Uh, induction stoves are more more efficient than the gas um, pipes. Gas produces a lot of problems. So cities are banning new construction for gas. So what they did is the federal, uh, uh, he, I'm sorry, the state government started to listen to the fossil fuel companies and then decided to ban the city to implement a solution for climate change and public health so the state of georgia banned cities from banning pipelines and then i can give you also example for instance plastic bags so many municipalities are banning plastic bags so here in georgia the state legislators decided that it was a good idea to ban cities from banning plastic bags so again cities have a lot of Power to to implement solutions for climate change, but we need the state and we need the federal government. We have have to work together. Uh, There is a a limit uh, that we can do uh, with cities and and uh, with states. We need to get involved the federal government, and then the federal government obviously has to operate at international level. So, climate change is something that is affecting us all. Uh, The pollution that that is producing in in um, oil states is affecting states that are clean. You know, the, all, all the cleaning that the, uh, California is doing, it won't work if the state of Montana starts to burn cold like crazy. So uh, we need the federal government to uh, to help us in address climate change. It doesn't mean that the federal government is going to do everything uh, because, again, I mentioned the power that uh, local communities have in order to do that. So we need a, a bottom-up and top-down approach. We need everybody to work on that. Now, uh, let's talk about Drawdown Georgia. So um that was a local solution it was a state a state solution yeah.
0: sorry Hyrule. Hi, hold on <laughs> let me yes. make sure because sometimes uh for our listeners sake you covered a lot of huge topics very quickly so let me yeah. let me slow down and think so what you were saying is that um when it comes down to it yes like most people are thinking of climate solutions only on the national level and i brought up the point that local and state solutions are very important and you came in with a point that said we need coordination on all three fronts so they don't prov- like they don't end up doing obstacles for each other or blocking each other and Absolutely. am i hearing that correctly correctly gotcha correctly. okay and the okay. other point
2: the other point that i want to mention is that the big money is coming from the federal government Gotcha. It's huge money. Those are the ones who have the money. If you want to build uh, a street, for instance, a complete streets with uh, bike lanes, etc., has to come from the Department of Transportation. The state don't even give you money; they give you, oh, your, no. you the money. So, if you want to do anything really good in your, your municipality, you have to have the support from the state and from the federal government. There is nothing that the city can do by itself in this. Planet. nothing oh wow the, we need the federal government in order to help give you the hand yes absolutely okay
0: i didn't realize that i mean this just shows my ignorance right here and i consider myself someone very steeped in this and um before you talk about drawdown georgia because you know like i said we're focused on solutions but we have to address the problems too and yeah, so yeah. i didn't even consider that cities and towns and municipalities have to get permission from the state and then the federal government as well to even adapt the way that they are proposing to adapt. Is that correct?
2: It's no permission, but it's the money. It's
0: the (laughs) the money. money. One
2: municipality cannot do much. Big cities like, for instance, Atlanta might be able to do something. I know even that. Some Mm -hmm. roads inside the city of Atlanta belong to the state. Like for instance, I live close to Peachtree. Peachtree is one of the most you know, important streets in the city of Atlanta. And we wanted to put bike lanes. And the, the problem is the Peachtree is considered a state lane. So we couldn't have anything without asking the state to allow us to do that. And they say, no, in certain sections, you cannot do that. So right now, I have to ride my bike in the middle of the road because we couldn't put some, uh, some bike lanes there because the street belongs to the state. Uh, and then at the federal level, obviously, we're working with the interstate system. So again, we have to work all together. But the big money, the big money is coming from the federal government. And then the state can, can chip some and, and municipalities can do some. But in order to do something uh, big, substantial, uh, we need to uh, have the support of the federal government. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, But yeah, what about Drawdown Georgia? What are y'all doing and what is it? Because I know Drawdown is, isn't it like a, it's a big initiative across the country, right?
2: Yes. Okay. Let's start with Drawdown. So Drawdown, the project Drawdown was a a project that it was created by this scientist. His name is Paul Hawkins. And Paul Hawkins thought that we we don't need to invent anything to address climate change. We don't we don't need to invent anything. You know, we're not talking about geoengineering and we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, carbon capture, all those kind of things. No, we, we can, whatever we have right now today, we can fix climate change. The thing is that we need to scale up those solutions. So he, um, he uh, was working with scientists all over the world in order to find a hundred solutions to address climate change that doesn't require, a, you know, a, breakthrough technologies, you know, new things, new nuclear plants, on how, you know, not, nothing like that. Whatever we have, 100 solutions. So that's called Project Drawdown. And he, you know, he published a book, and that is a peer review book. And there is 100 solutions in which we can address climate change. One solution, for instance, uh, in, the, uh, in the Drawdown, Project Drawdown, is to educate women. We, when we educate girls, specifically in developing countries, that is the solution for climate change. Why is the solution of climate change? Is because when they do, the girls are educated, they have usually they uh, they they have better jobs. They don't have um, too many kids. They they is just better for the future. So there is a scientist. There don't, don't, again, this is not me. Go there and throw to draw down. Find the scientist and then debate him and just the messenger here. They said that that's one of the solutions. As a matter of fact, we take that solution. Educating girls in developing countries, and we add access to birth uh, to control. If you add those two solutions from the 100 solutions, we might be able to fix climate change according to a project drawdown. Again, that's a peer review publication. But anyway, those are 100 solutions there. It's around the world. We're talking about around the, world, the planet. Now, what we did here at the universities here in Georgia, universities in Georgia, I mentioned that we are connected right now more with the communities. So we have a grant from the Gracie Anderson Foundation. And then the idea was to find, from the 100 solutions, find 20 solutions that are applicable here in Georgia. So obviously we are educating girls already here in Georgia. And supposedly, you know, those, those girls have access to... Uh, to bear control here in the United States. So those solutions don't apply to us. But there are other solutions that are more relevant to Georgia, so that was the effort to figure out what of those 20 solutions are more appropriate to Georgia that are feasible, that are impactful. When I mean impactful means that each one of those solutions of the 20 solutions had to reduce more than 1 million metric tons of carbon equivalent per year and feasible to achieve we don't have to invent anything we don't have to break the the state of georgia to achieve it something that can be totally achievable if we scale it up so we found those 20 solutions and that is called the uh, georgia drawdown 20 solutions to address the the problem of climate change without inventing anything at all and you guys can you can go to our website, Georgia Drawdown, and then find those, those solutions that are also there, solutions are applicable here in the, in the most of those solutions are applicable in the South. Um, obviously the solutions here in Georgia are gonna be different than the solutions in Florida, but many of those solutions are, are, are the typical solutions. For instance, transportation is something that we, we, we don't have public transportation here in, in the South. So that is one of the solutions obviously, but that was our effort. Uh, and then um, the effort started with uh, Georgia Tech, Emory University and University of Georgia, that include, for instance, forestry. Um, one, uh, one of the uh, big solutions that I was part of, that I'm very proud of it, was uh, Root of Solar. So Root of Solar, we know that is, people say, oh, that is not equitable. Poor people cannot afford it to do that. But we can make it affordable. We can make it affordable if we decided that that is a good solution. But as a matter of fact, uh, Root of Solar is more equitable that putting a bunch of solar panels in a property somewhere because you need to transmit that energy. You need to put new transformers. You need to make lines. So by the time that your energy get in your house, you have to pay a bunch of money. So the most equitable solution for solar energy is rooftop solar. We just need to figure out how we can make it affordable for low-income communities. But that is a different approach to discard completely rooftop solar as a solution for equity, a solution for for, for for climate change, specifically for resiliency. Because when the storm comes and goes and the lines, the power lines are are out, you, you have solar, you are safe. But you you depends on the grid. You, your, you and your community, you are you in your own. You know, we have a biggest storm yesterday, right? Here in the South, more than 100,000 people are without electricity. The last time that the storm hit um, New Orleans, it was not the storm that was killing people. It was the lack of electricity. So what is the solution? Solar panels, solar panels in rooftop solar or in the community solar, something that communities can access very quickly. So that is also a solution for resiliency. So that, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: You're saying that y'all are just taking solutions that are already there. Y'all not inventing anything new. Y'all not trying to make up a new uh, okay. make up make up a new equation or anything like that. You're just taking solutions that are already there, and y'all are just scaling them.
2: Correct. Exactly. That's that's what uh, drawdown journey project is. Exactly right.
1: Wow. Um, that's dope. I mean, and even the things that y'all are doing with the girls and and teaching them mm-hmm. and just acknowledging that the solutions are already there within the community. We just have to give them the resources, give them the tools. That's so dope. I, I love that. I really do.
2: Absolutely. You guys So have I to
1: speak on like what are some of the challenges that y'all are overcoming um and, and setting this up, setting these processes up and scaling these solutions.
2: So, okay, so this, again, I mentioned, we had the solutions for climate change. We could have fixed climate change 50 years ago. Why we don't fix climate change? We know why. The reason is that there are are just a few people that are making billions of dollars in fossil fuels. Billions, billions, billions. There was a study that shows that just one company, you take BP, British Petroleum Company, you take BP, right? The earnings, earnings, the money that they make last year, the money that they make last year, with that money, you can be paying a person who was born at the time of Jesus Christ every day, $50,000 every single day since that person, you know, at the time of Jesus Christ until now, every single day, day, every single day giving him $50,000. And that is the amount of money that BP did in one year. Now, if you ask Mobile and Anoco and, and all those oil companies, imagine the massive amount of dollars that those people make. Imagine, it's just so astronomic that it's just disturbing. I and mean, those people, instead of doing good, they decided to do bad. What they do, they give money to politicians. And unfortunately, politicians are, I don't, I don't know, I don't know at this moment any politician that is just... It's always about money, it's always about money because they are thinking about the next campaign, they are thinking about the next thing, they are thinking about that. So they receive money from those companies. So those people don't, don't want to do anything and do any obstacle possible to address the problem of climate change. And they are doing it very successfully. And there are plenty of studies, you don't have to trust me, there are plenty of studies, scientific studies, show studies, from Columbia University, from Yale University, from many universities around the world, that shows papers, you know, documentaries, uh, uh, presentations, that they, they are writing down a campaign, a specific campaigns to uh, stop addressing climate change, to confusing people about climate change because they are making tons of money, they don't care. So the biggest obstacle, the obstacle that we have, specifically here in the South, is that people don't think that climate change is an issue. Even though they are seeing it through the window, through the TV, they are seeing people are dying. But it's because they are influenced by those massive amount of misinformation, and they believe that, it, that they don't they don't trust their own eyes. They prefer to believe these corrupt politicians, to instead of a common sense looking through the window. So the biggest challenge in the, here in the south is that politicians and decision makers are not taking climate change seriously
0: mm.
2: and even those and then there are two types the complete deniers which right now you know you cannot deny it anymore because it's so evident right they are just a few but they are just lower and lower so they changed the, the, the topic now they accept the reality of climate change but they don't want to do anything about it they don't do it. They're trying to avoid the hard conversations. They're trying to avoid the, uh, the, the solutions. They don't want to talk about it because they, they believe that they're going to be affected uh, politically by the party you know, that is uh, well-funded well by the fossil fuel industry. So we have, we have zero leadership in the South. I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody with the leadership here in the South to address the climate change. So we have a big issue here. If, if nobody of the leaders, are serious about climate change? How communities are are expecting to, to do that? How we can? What what are the tools of communities to to do something about climate change? If the mayor of the or, or the city council members uh, don't take climate change seriously, and this is the, this is the, the thing that it just kills me. Like they said, oh, we do have other priorities. We do have another priorities. Are you telling that the person who lost their house? because the storm, because the flood that they have, because the tornado that destroyed their houses, tornado is moving east. Are you telling me that the person who lost everything has other priorities? Can you tell me what other priority this person has? But they don't care, they believe that it's not. Climate change is affecting our production of food. Are you telling me that there is another priority more important than the food? You know, our people, children with asthma are dying. And you are you telling me that it's another priority more important than children that are dying that's been affected by these fuels? Are you telling me that there are other priorities? But that's the excuse, we have another priorities. Here in Atlanta, we had the mayor that says at the beginning, and we, I interviewed it through the Climate Reality Project, and, we, and he promised that he was going to address climate change. Right now, half of his period in, in power, and absolutely nothing has been done. It's because it's just blah, 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 yes, 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 just yes to everybody's happy, but when it's just to the time they just get there, oh, I have another priorities. So climate change is just, it's a legacy. Whatever we are doing, we are doing with our hands, whatever we are doing, we are doing the minimum that we can, but we are not doing enough. And then we are emitting today more carbon emissions that we had done in the time history of humankind. We are, so we know the problems, we know that it's affecting us, we're gonna affect our planet, and we are doing absolutely nothing just, you know, trying to do something where the politicians are receiving all the money uh, to, uh, to deny, delay, uh, and give other priorities to the thing that it should be the priority for humanity. This is a humanity issue. This is, this is going to affect us all. But there is no priority. There is no priority. Go there to any council member in any city in, in, in the South, even Florida, that is getting flooded all the time. Go there and tell them that you have to deploy solar panels. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. no, we, we can do it in the next 40, 50 years. Why well, you don't do it now? You can do it now, but no, then there is no priority in the south. So that's the biggest trouble that we have here in the southeast. Obviously, this is not the only place. Many, many places. But there are, there are people that are serious. You go to northern Europe. There are no climate change deniers. They are moving ahead. They are deploying solar panels like crazy. They are moving to uh, a fossil fuel economy very quickly. People have the the the, the culture of riding bikes, mm. and they are, they are healthier. They are healthy by themselves. They are healthy for the environment. They are healthy for the kids. Healthy for the cities. They they eat better. They 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 do. They are doing things. So so we see that. Countries are doing things, but not different here in the United States. Why? Because the fossil fuel is just too powerful. It's too powerful.
0: Well, that touches directly on, you know, cause we are working against big money, big fossil fuel money, politicians who don't have a personal interest to make the massive transformations that need to happen. Um, because generally their job is to kind of keep the status quo. But if the status quo is actively harming people, then that's different but what can communities do to advocate for climate solutions like what can local people just what can folks do to alleviate this or anything like what 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 can be done to overcome these challenges and how can communities advocate for solutions because i mean mm-hmm. yeah i'll just start going off but i would love to hear your insight about that
2: yeah, I mean, uh, communities. We had to do what we know what to do. One is educate, the other one organize, and the other one is mobilize. Nothing, absolutely nothing in this country or in the world has been given for free, or has given given just because it's a good idea. Never. It's always a struggle to change the status quo. From women, the right to vote. It was no like, okay. You know what? Women deserve to vote. No, it, it, wasn't, it never happened like that. Women had to go out of the streets and demand it and go there and lobby and push it and push it and push it and push it and push it, and push it until you got it. That was, the, that it. was the way you got it.
0: Yeah, with, I you know, love hearing a professor do that. Anyway, I love hearing a professor just call something bullshit because it is. But anyway, continue,
2: Hira. Yeah, you got it. You have to go there and get, get for it. It's like you know, we we uh, freed the slaves in you know the last century, but we have spent other kinds of slavery to the entire century uh, to the twentieth uh, century uh, through discrimination. You know, with the, the civil rights movement. So it was not the freedom of the people that was giving, oh, you know what, the, the civil rights, here it is. You, you, can you have any, no, it never happened. As to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and go there, people get killed, people get beat it and fight and fight and fight and fight. And, fight. and we, we finally, even though we don't get it completely now, but at least, at least we we're able to teach classes at Georgia Tech. Before only white people were able to teach classes at Georgia Tech. I mean, still, even though we are 50 years after the civil rights movements, I'm mean, still are being discriminated. I don't want to say where, but I'm still, I feel like being discriminated and, and, and that the, the options that I'm supposed to have as a right because my, my capacity and my education and my training is given to other people because the color of the skin. I see that if after 50 years. So it's a struggle. It still is a struggle. It's, still, it's, a, struggle. it's a struggle for women to have the same pay as, as a man for the same job. It's like, what wow, is it so incredible, just why we don't have it. You see, that is a struggle. It's always a struggle. The reason you go through the window, hopefully you have a blue sky. The reason you can see the blue sky is it was not free. It was not because, you know what? We're going to clean the air. That never happened. In the 1970s, 20 million Americans went to the streets. They were tired. They were sick. It was like, yeah, that is enough. That is enough. It was not free. It was 20 million Americans going to the street. The 22nd of April, 1970, 20 million Americans went to the street to demand action on clean air and clean water. We demanded it. The people of America demanded that. And we got it. We had the EPA. We found the EPA. Now we can see the, the sky. It's still polluted. It's still polluted because it's always a struggle. But the only way that we can get a solution of climate action, seriously climate action, is going to the street and demanding it. I've been struggling with that for years. The maximum, the maximum manifestation that I have here in Atlanta was 500 people, and it was huge. That was huge, the largest manifestation of our climate. Which climate? I'm talking about humanity. I'm talking about you know the kids and the kids of the kids. Talking about the decision for humanity. And the largest manifestation that we have in Washington, D.C., was around 200,000 people, which was big. But if you compare 200,000 with 20 million, that's quite different, right? So, right now, we really, there is not interest of in the people about climate change. And it's because all the commercials, all the infomercial that is happening uh, uh, that is financed by the fossil fuel industry, they're telling the people, no, go there. And and in TikTok and do some movements, don't care about climate change because that is not real. And the people don't 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 believe it. You know, we we have sent you guys, we went to these um, towns here in the south and asked people about climate change. And then the statistics is here: 50% of the people don't believe that climate change is real. 50%. That's half of the population. So if there is one person that says no, that would be the majority. Because even in democracy, there will be the majority of people that don't believe that climate change is real, which is a fact, it's science. This, this, is, this is not about believing or not. This is, you know, it's like gravity. It's happening. We have to do something about it and it's going to kill us. It's killing us. We see every day in the news, you know, the, the tragedy of, of the impacts of, of, of climate change are enormous everywhere in the world. You know, and it's affecting us all. You know, you see all, all the, the floods in the Midwest, in the Midwest. It's why people are dying there. Um, Obviously, here in the South, many people of color have been affected, it's affecting us all. Um, But no, there are all the priorities. There are always, always priorities instead of saving the planet, instead of saving our livelihood. Um, So what
0: I'm hearing is take it to the streets, is what I'm hearing.
2: It's just um, educating, organizing, and mobilizing. Um, This is the only way, it's just the only way. We need to just go to every single town hall, and then express our voice and have these conversations. People tell me, no, 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 I don't mention climate change. I'm I'm being here in Georgia and they don't give me good jobs because I talk about climate change all the time. Oh no, don't talk about climate change because you're gonna you're gonna upset this person. Like, why are you insane? And that is, people that are supposed to believe in climate change, people are supposed to be in our side, they are saying, no, don't t- tone down climate change because then you're gonna accept this person. I lost my job at, at, at the city of Atlanta because because I was too vocal about climate change and Donald Trump was in power. You lost
0: somebody. your, wait, 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 you lost your job at yeah. the city of Atlanta because you were vocal about climate change?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was um. the director of climate policies and then Donald Trump's getting the power and then the new man, the, the, the new, new mayor or the group, they decided that if, if they speak about climate change with Donald Trump, then they don't get money. So he says, okay, this, this job is not, we don't, we don't need this job anymore. The city of Atlanta, and I have the letter, the city of Atlanta said the climate change is not an issue anymore. I have the letter. We don't need this position anymore. Like, are you insane? Are you insane, really? And yeah, that is happening in front of our eyes. Um, So, and then, yeah, right now, there is. uh, luckily we have some some pushes from the uh, Biden administration, but those pushes are more economic factors than climate change factors. Let me tell you that. Yes, they are to address only climate issues, but most of the things that are happening is economic thing, economically thing, because other countries are serious about climate change. Even China, even China, even China is serious and serious about climate change. So China right now is getting the leadership in transportation and in cars, which is an enormous thing for the economy. They are selling electric cars to the world like crazy. So the only way that the United States can get stay in the in the game of cars, selling cars around the world, is to get in the EV wagon. Because if the United States don't get in the EV wagon, then China is going to sell electric cars to everyone in the world. So that's why we have the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, yes, it's nice. Oh, yeah, we are addressing climate change. No, look at what is happening under the it's just about economics it's all about economics it's not about climate change but it doesn't matter at least we got some money to start to do some some things that you know we, we can put us in the right track but it's the intention right you know they, they tell you oh yeah we're going to address climate change no it's just all economics because inside of that package and we know pretty much uh there are packages that are a lot of uh, concessions to the fossil fuel industry we know that so no, it's about electric vehicles. Yes, because we need to catch up with with, uh, with with China. It's about solar panels. Yes, because we need to catch up with China, which is the largest producer of solar panels in the world. So everybody in the world is going to buy from China. So it's about competitive competitive. But it's really, if you look at the bottom of the things. It's not about it's not about climate change. It's not about climate change. Um, so the, again, the only way that we can do that is just to change the uh, the mentality of our leaders now um you ask me so why should we keep fighting for this yes we should you know it's it's our it's our planet it's our children it's our future generations we need to keep doing and we can keep doing as much as we can as the time we have with the resources we have the new generations though and that's the thing that gives me hope the new generations have another mentality even the most conservative of my students understand that climate change is real Understands that we need to change our ways. understand that we are in the wrong track. So hopefully it's a generational thing, like smoking. You know, hopefully it's a generational thing that the new generations take over. But they don't have a lot of time. And it's not me saying it. It's the scientific community. If we don't address this issue of climate change very quickly, it's, it's going to be really bad. It's going to be extremely bad. This summer is going to be one of the worst summers in in, in history. Why I know that is not me saying it. It's the scientists because the, the oceans, they didn't have enough time to cool off last year. So the oceans are at higher temperature than ever. So they expect, because the temperature of the oceans are so high, that the hurricanes and tornadoes and all those kind of disasters are going to be more intense, and we are feeling it. Right now, there are people in Texas with 117 degrees. You guys are watching the news? It's not me saying it. It's there in the news. People are dying in Texas because it's 117 degrees, and this is just—you know—we are almost July, but it still, is, August needs to come, and August is hot. Think mm-hmm. about the temperatures and then there. So people are dying, right? But anyway, so the future generations is our hope. I hope that they they take seriously uh, this issue of climate change and move forward with the solutions that we need to. So let's let's keep our helping the new generations. Let's keep the conversation going. We need to talk about climate change all the time, all the time, because it's affecting our food, it's affecting our, our livelihood, our houses, our jobs. It's affecting us all. We need to talk about
0: that.
1: All right, Doc. I mean, to me, you pretty much answered the last question, but I'm going to throw it back out there at you and I'm going to see if you can come up with a little something new. Throughout all Throughout your journey... Um, in helping and transitioning us into a just in green, green region, if you will, what gives you hope through all your struggles implementing local si- local city and state climate solutions? What gives you hope?
2: Yes. And yeah, as I mentioned, it's is the new generations I and, mean, you know, I teach, you know, thousands of students every year. So they are the ones that are like you guys, you are young generation that I'm, I'm, I'm very, you, you motivate me to keep doing this job because I give up in my generation. I give up. There are two types of people in my generation. They are the, the deniers and the cowards, because people of my age, they are afraid to talk about climate change. Most of us are our friends, people of my age. And it's like, why well, do we want to talk about climate change? Oh, we don't want to affect the, uh, the Republican Party. You know, what would they, you know, they are, so, they are cowards. They're cowards. And we need people with, with brave, you know, like the civil rights movements so or the movements from women to vote. We need brave people to move forward this movement. We have uh, some young generations. We know, uh, you know, Greta Thunberg and all the movement and that she started it. Um... But the new generations is the one that it gives me hope. I was uh, a few minutes ago in a conference uh, with some uh, uh, kids in D.C. When I say kids, for, for me, every person younger than 30 years old is a kid. <laughs> you know, I'm too old now. Uh, but they are extremely educated they are extremely well-spoken, and they are so passionate about addressing these issues, you know, about transportation, about how we change our ways, uh, about fixed all those problems that we created with the previous generation, you know, the redlining, and all those things that are totally related to climate change um, to, to make a planet better for everybody. And it's just so um, inspiring, inspiring to hear that uh, those uh, new generations are have the bravery. to to move forward and then to speak up with the big issues. And and they are not afraid of taking the right decisions. So um, I'm I'm very pleased with that. And I really hope, cross my fingers, that when they start to have kids, they will change their minds. So that's the only thing that I hope. I hope not because, you know, their kids are going to be affected. They are already being affected. So um, let's hope that the future generations fix this problem because it has to be fixed. It has to be fixed. if the humans keep emitting the amount of carbon emissions, there won't be pl- won't be planet as we know it by the year 2100.
0: Hey, if it's any consolation, give us the wheel. Give us the wheel and we'll drive. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, so really, I mean, there are many classes right now that they are offering. My classes are always full about climate change uh, because they are very interested in doing that. I teach a class here at Georgia Tech uh, that is about the carbon reduction challenge. And those, those students go there and work with companies to help them reduce carbon emissions Because again, the old generations are just too, you know, it's too old. They're too old to think differently. Um, So the thing is, we need to address climate change. Has to be extremely soon because the scientists are telling us the more we postpone, the worse it gets uh, and the feedback for the planet is going to be worse. So we need to reduce carbon emissions and then we can make a better planet in the process. And then so I'm, I'm so glad that the new generations really, really get it. And have the uh, the bravery to to move forward with that. That's the thing that keeps me alive. Um, but until until I have any drop of energy, I'm gonna keep pushing for this because this is our home. This is a beautiful planet. You know, I look outside my window, see beautiful trees, birds that maybe collapse because because of, because of you know the greed of the few, you know, at the ignorance of many. Uh, so let's let's hope that those those situations happen uh, pretty soon. The, in the in the near future